Okay, as Be'ezer Deshem, want to explore the idea of what is the Ruach Chaim, what is the spirit of life. The Patach Eliyahu says, Levushin Tekinatlon, Hashem set up garments, perish, ki od bara hamatzil eser spheres acher shen levushin el spheres hatzilos, vein olam habriya. Hashem created a concept of ten spherot, which would be garments for the spherot of Atzilut, which are called the ten spherot of Bria. Why is Bria called Lavush? Why is the world of Bria called a garment? So the world of Bria is the first expression of actually a created world. The concept of the Sfirot and Atzilut are the concept of so many godly thoughts which are one with Hashem in the way that, again, we're meditating on our soul and we're thinking about how within our soul, our one essential soul, which is one with Hashem and pure and simple, yet it has within itself so many powers that there's no limit to the times that I could say the word lavush, right? I could say the word lavush, meaning garment, you know, until I drop at 120, because that's a power within me. And that power doesn't change. It's a ability and a power that is inexhaustible to say the word lavush, to say the word hello, to extend my, my right arm and give charity. To the extent that I had unlimited money to give, I could just keep doing it, theoretically speaking. So those abilities within myself is, so to speak, similar to the world of Atzilut, which is like Hashem's abilities to express himself in the world over and over and over. But now we're talking about the next world outside of that, so to speak, and below that, which is the world of Bria, which is called, so to speak, a garment. La Ros. Okay, so we said a lot of things. The level of Ein Sof, the level of endless ability, unstoppable power, is like, so to speak, your will. Nobody, we're saying over and over and over again in many different sources, the Ein Base and some in here as well, that the will itself, desire, ability, pure power, has no particular expression. What is it? A will to do something, it's the ultimate power driving that thing. Because if you don't want to do that thing, it's not going to happen. And if Hashem doesn't want that thing to express, it's not going to express. But on the other hand, pure will, pure essence, which is the essence of the, of the being, has no, there's nothing to grasp. What is it? I want to what? So when oh, I want to drive my car, I want to learn Torah, I want to give tzedakah. Okay, so now the will is getting dressed up in a particular activity. And now you're seeing what I want dressed up in what I'm doing. But just to see my pure will and power and ability without it dressing up in any activity, you're not ever going to grasp it. So that's what the Sphero and Atzilut are like, so to speak, as they are the garment that 
Ein Sof, which is pure power and will, is dressing up in all those things that Hashem is doing so that the will isn't clothed within those activities because now we see all those activities, so to speak, that Hashem is doing. We get to see, well, this is what He wants. But without those activities, we wouldn't have no access to His pure ability and will. We know He wants to do good. And we know he loves justice, and we know he loves balance. Okay, we know he wants those things, but we wouldn't know that unless he actually dresses up in those activities and expresses them, so to speak, in the world. Okay. But just to have raw world of Atsilut only, we would still have no access. The, the spherot of Atsilut have to then get dressed up in another layer of hiddenness and enclothement, which is called the next world of Bria, which again is the world of a creation, so to speak, outside of Hashem's pure essential light, which the world of Atsilut, all those things, those particular things that he could do from the, from the aspect of him as a creator, we can't just get those straight on. We need them to get enclosed in three more worlds, really. But the first one's called Bria, which is uh, from the etymology, the linguistic etymology of outside, or something that's new, as he's going to explain. We were talking many times how it's the thing on the other side of the curtain. This is the, really what it's talking about when the when the Torah is describing the parochet, that curtain separating the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, from the rest of the Mikdash, that it's dividing from the Kodesh and from, between the Kodesh and between the and the Kodesh Hakodashim. It's this screen. It's this curtain. We in in the in, the, in uh, Chabad writings, it's that we talked about it many times. It's how there's an analogy. There's the mushal and the nimshal. So the, everything on the other side of the screen, so to speak, outside the world of pure light, is just an analogy for what's going on inside of the pure center of heaven, which is Atzilut, such that everything coming out on the other side of the screen is only an analogy. And when the light is moving through the screen, that itself is what's causing it to get dressed up in so many analogies. Anyway, off the topic, we talked about it before. Why do we need a world of Bria? Why can we not get the light of Atzilut straight on? Well, we say, just as Ainsof the endless power, the endless ability and desire of Hashem has no change. The verse says, Ani Hashem lo shaniti. I am God, I don't change. I don't change from what I absolutely want all the time, which is pure good. Just as Hashem's Ein Sof will, his endless power, his endless ability, doesn't change. He doesn't decide, you know what, I don't want to be good to the world anymore. He just doesn't do that. Not that he couldn't, but he doesn't. That he doesn't want to not love us and give constantly to us. So just as he doesn't change in his essential will and stance towards the world, that he wants it to continue and he wants it to be absolutely good all the time, so too those powers of Atsilut, which are right next to his Ein Sof ability, they also don't actually change. As we said, Atsilut is so to speak like how you could always, within your soul, say the word uh, or, light, 
endlessly. Your ability to do whatever you could ever do is not changing. What changes is that you might at this time express it and at this other time not express it. But your actual ability within yourself, within your soul, to say the word light as many times as you could ever want to is, never, is not changing as well. Because it's just as your inner will and your essential soul never changes, so too its abilities never change. And that's, so, so to speak, Atzilus never changes. Hashem's abilities, what he could always do in this world, are never changing. Now you might say, well, what if somebody, God forbid, loses their ability to speak? Fine. But that's a change in their garments. That's a change in their body. But within their soul, the soul itself is never losing the ability to say any word it could ever say. As King David says, Any word in my mouth that I could ever say, Hashem, you knew him. Because any word you could ever say was, is part of your soul that Hashem designed. So that's like Atzila. Atzila just also doesn't change, so to speak. All the changes are coming from Atzilut. It's where Hashem is revealing himself as all the things he could do. But it doesn't, it doesn't actually change. It's not like, you know what, today is a day of judgment. I'm going to destroy the temple today. So I lost my ability to do kindness in the world. That's not true. The day that Hashem was destroying the temple, it's not like those powers in Atzilut of him rebuilding the temple weren't there. He just wasn't expressing them at that time. So, if the world of Atzilut then is this world of changeless, eternal powers and abilities that don't themselves undergo change, then how do we have a world of change and transformation coming from that changeless world of all those powers he could do? That's why we need three more worlds as garments outside of Atzilut. Okay. Because in Berea is where actual changes, actual, now it's kindness, now it's severe, well, now it's severe, now it's a time of peace, now it's a time of war different times, different places. That's where that can actually come out. That's why the world of Bria is called the world of Pirud, the world of separations. In Atzilut, everything, everything Hashem ever has expressed, is expressing and ever will express, is existing all at once. There's no separations. All the powers are there. Just as, again, within your soul, all the things you ever have done, are doing, and will ever do are existing there timelessly as all sorts of power packs of things you could ever do. So how do you express yourself as, oh, right now I'm doing Torah, and now I'm doing Sadaka, and now I'm doing Shema, and now I'm eating. How do you have that? You need, you need garments of expression. You need a space of creation. You need a, a playing field with which in you can express all your different powers in different ways at different times. It's like slowing you down almost. The darkness is like slowing you down, but at the same time it's creating a space for you to be able to express yourself not all at once. Because just expressing yourself all at once, so you don't get a, a close good look at all the different things you can do. 
Same thing. You don't get a close good look at all the different things Hashem can do unless you have a creation and, and really unless you have darkness. Unless you have a, a space of, of uh, brokenness and negativity temporarily, which is like slowing down his light so that he can show all his different powers one at a time, so to speak. All right. So one thing that's really cool. The Torah is constantly hinting to these four worlds, right? We say there are four, four basic worlds in, in, in the universe. That's Silut, Bria, Yitzir, and Asiya. So the word at Silut is showing up like once pretty much that I'm, that I'm aware of, is when Moshe is um, emanating his prophecy out into the 70 elders, elders Hashem says, something like, you're going to emanate. There might be another, might be another time when the, the, it says Hashem, they sing a vision of Hashem, right after the giving of the Torah, they see a vision of Hashem, and they see this like sapphire brick under his feet. And it says that they were eating and drinking and like looking at this image, which it doesn't necessarily mean that they were literally eating. It might mean that they were like ingesting the, the prophecy, like as if they were eating it, bringing it to themselves. And it says, El atzile b'nei Yisrael lo yada. Like he didn't send his hand out to hurt them while like he didn't hurt them with that vision. I think it says atzile there as well. All right, so atzilut is hinted to. Obviously, asiya is hinted to every time it says that he did something. He did this, he did that. That's Asiya. Esav. Esav himself is Milosh and Asiya. Mm-hmm. Right? Because he's very... He could be the best. Esav could have been the best. To transform the world of Asiya is the best. The, the world of action, the physical world. That's why Yitzchak preferred him. And Yitzir, it's always talking about Hashem formed man. He, he formed the animals. He's, he's, Yitzir is there. Bria is showing up a little bit as well. She, she says Hashem created. Some, sometimes it says, Vayivra Elohim et Adam et Salmo. Hashem created man in his image. There it says, Vayivra, he created. All right, so there's this hints to these worlds all the time. Another hint, though, is in um, Korach that Moshe says, If I'm right and they're wrong, when they're rising up against me, Korach is rebelling against me, let Hashem create a, a Bria Chadasha, a new creation. That the mouth of the earth should open up. It's that the earth's mouth should open up. Now the midrash tells us that the mouth of the land was one of the things that Hashem already created. Bein Hashmasha, He already created Friday afternoon before the first Shabbos, which means that He created all these things in potential. The Bilam's donkey that was going to talk, all sorts of things. Miriam's well, the rainbow. It means He created them already but he created them and didn't create them. Like, he created them in potential, but there would have to be events that transpire to, like, open up those creations and really open them up and make them a real Bria. So, but anyway, the point is, is that from that verse, we've learned that Bria is really emphasizing the idea of a chidush, like, to create a new thing. Right, because by Atzil, there's nothing new. Within your soul, and so to speak, within the soul of God, so to speak, and all the things he could ever do, there is no change. He's never losing his ability to do anything he could ever do. But what's, what's a new thing is what's created. It's a new expression. Oh, now I'm expressing this power I've never expressed to you before, even though I always could have. Shehu inyan hitchachus vidgalus davar chadash l'sibat ha'chuk l'sibat Um, 
Okay, on type of that garment is another garment called Yitzira. The next world down. The world of formation. Okay, so what's the difference then between Bria and Yitzira? We, we understand why we have a world of Bria. We have a world of Bria because it's the first instance where you can have a space, a medium, a, a a playing field where there so mysteriously is this ability for Hashem to show all his different powers, which are never changing, which are always immutably there, to show them in some space one at a time. But apparently, just having a world of Bria and that's it isn't enough. You need two other worlds that are enclosing on top of that world. So he says, okay, now next world down is the world of Yitzira. And basically, so far he said the reason you need another world of Yitzira is that the idea of changes in particular expressions, that what Hashem is doing gets even more specialized. That the particularity of what he's expressing gets even more particular. It's nice in Hebrew, the word for particular is prat. It sounds like particular or part. Prat and part sound very similar. So that's a nice Hebrew cognate. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Ah, so he just says it kind of in a simple way. He kind of glosses this, but whatever. So once you have Bria and then you have Yitzira, so you're getting this ability for Hashem to express more, himself in more and more particular ways. But the particularization that Bria and Yitzira are giving an opportunity to show these powers and more and more particularity, it's not going to be particular enough. It's not going to be split up enough. It's not going to be separated enough until you have finally the world of Asiya. And he's emphasizing in a few times, it's a, there's a very big need for there to be the maximum expression of particularity. He says it earlier in the book that the more expression of particularity there is, that affords Hashem the opportunity to express his maximum amount of stuff. So I'm just kind of looking ahead and looking back in the book. But the reason for the world of Asiya, which is that lowest world, which ultimately becomes physicality itself, the darkness of this lowest world is serving the Creator that in this place of challenge and in this place where, because there's so many obstacles, the more obstacles you have, in anything you're dealing with, the more steps you need to take to solve that puzzle, to, to solve that problem, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. And the, the example of a video game is popping into my head. But you have, like, the hardest levels of a video game, you know, you might have to solve a puzzle with a thousand steps. Versus in earlier levels, it's really easy. So you only have to take, you only have to take four or five steps. So that's kind of what the lowest world of Asiya is. It's the thickest darkness. It's the, it's the most tangled, knotted up problem, which is 
giving Hashem the opportunity, so to speak, to show, you know, five trillion billion steps of solving a problem versus if the world was less knotted up and less entangled and less dark. And so again, we can take that as a very, very deep lesson for our lives because we all have challenges. We all have setbacks that Hashem is putting us in the situation where we're disadvantaged in this way and we don't have in this way. And the reason he did it is like the more of a puzzle he creates for you, the more of a mess of problem he, he creates for you, that's actually giving you, we've said this a million times, but that's, all, that's actually giving you um, the greatest opportunity to express all of your powers. And all of a sudden, all your problems are sweetened if you can take that attitude. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna skip a little bit. Alevushin, commotion first, best of time, Imkain, my rats on the mar. One second. Lochiach, Manashamus, all Elevushin, Amar. Diminaya park in Ishmatin, the Mininasha, Rotsilamar. Shanashamus, Natsalamatsilus. Okay. He asks like a few questions in the dictuk of the Patach Eliyahu. Right? He's saying, Hello. He's saying, he's asking a bunch of questions on how that mimer in the in the introduction of Tikkuni Zohar set up. I'm not going to go through the the Shaklavataria, but I'm just going to tell you the answer. <clears throat> that the souls, the souls are emanated from Atsilus, v'yetsu ufarchulabria, and the souls are are emanating and sprouting or flowering out in the world of Bria. Menitnu baguf b'nei adam. And then they finally, they finally settle in human body. So what does that mean? So your soul is originating in Atsilot. Your soul is bound up with whatever Hashem could do in this world. Right? What do we say? We say that Abraham is the Merkava for the meat of Chesed. Abraham is the chariot for Hashem's attribute of compassion. And the Midrash is saying, it's a very mainstream Midrash, <coughs> very mainstream Midrash. The Midrash is saying... Oh, Hashem, so to speak, the Midat HaChesed, Hashem's attribute of kindness, whatever this means, was saying, wow, I get to take a break. Since Avraham's been in the world, he's doing all my work for me. Whatever, I mean, was nobody else doing kindness? What does that mean? What does it mean that Hashem's attribute of kindness was talking to Hashem? Whatever, this is the Midrash. But basically what it just means is Abraham was channeling that Midat HaChesed, like, Hashem had all these kind things he wanted to do, and Abraham was doing it. He was making it happen through his soul. His soul was bound up with those, those attributes of kindness, those attributes of kindness, all those kind things Hashem wanted to show. He wants them to be shown through a human being. Obviously, Abraham's not creating the world. He's not building the world with kindness, but he is being that final expression of kindness, which is why Hashem created the world, right? Mm-hmm. The Torah is saying... These, these are the products of heaven and earth that Hashem created, the word when he created them, the Midrash says flip around those letters and say because of Avraham, Hashem created the world. 
Hashem created the whole world because of Avraham, which means he created the whole world because of what Avraham did and what he represents and what he passed on to his generations forever, all the families of the earth, to do kindness. The main, our whole, what we're supposed to be about at the end of the day is doing kindness. Okay, you have to learn Torah, you have to learn how to do kindness in a balanced way. You need Gevura, you need to know when to set limits, etc., etc. But the, the kindness is called or. Kindness is called let there be light. It's called Yoma de Azle Bekul Yomin. It's the day that travels with all the other days. It's the real inner intention behind all the other garments. It's, it's really about kindness. Okay, we have to dress up the kindness and all these things. But it's very simple. It's just about giving. How do you give? In what way do you give? How long should I be learning with you? You know, two months. I got to work eventually, you know. So, all right. Listen to this line now. He says like this. Let's learn about why Hashem created the worlds in this four-part structure of Atzilat, Bria, Yitzir, from you. Let's learn the part, and, and then you can extrapolate it to the whole. So you need these four worlds to express yourself, right? Because you, ultimately, the root of your soul is in Atzilut. All these things Hashem could express in the world, He wants to do them through the souls, that the souls, the power of the soul, your power to do any mitzvah is just a power of Hashem and Atzilut. And your free will is, are you going to activate those powers of Hashem which were assigned to your soul? That's why the Arizal is saying that people are going through reincarnation after reincarnation until they do all the mitzvot that their soul root was assigned to do. And if you don't do it in this life... So then you're reincarnated into so many lives until you do it. By the way, are you, do you have to get reincarnated as a Kohen? Do you have to get reincarnated as a Kohen Gadol? Not necessarily. You know, there's all sorts of thoughts that oh, we all kind of do what we can for each other as a Klal Yisrael. But, okay, the mitzvah of divorcing your wife. I don't ever want to divorce my wife. So when you learn about Gittin and you learn about divorce, so by learning about it, you're like learning about this mitzvah and you're Mechaimah's mitzvah. So it's really, really, really important to learn so you don't have to come back into reincarnation. Okay, how does that work? By just learning about it, you do the mitzvah. What does that mean? Not the point, but the point just here is that oh, really your soul is rooted in that silhouette because there's so many things Hashem wanted to express really mainly through us, through all the things we would do. So that's why your soul is rooted in that silhouette. But as we said, the powers in that silhouette, they don't change. Those things you could always do back then, now, and forever, they're not changing. So how do you express yourself? I'm doing this mitzvah now, and I'm doing a different mitzvah now. That's why you need three other worlds to like kind of darken the light and slow down the light and create a constriction so that you can express different things at different times. Okay. Since, since now, this is the nice, really interesting move he's making. Since you need that, since you need in your soul, and your soul's pathway needs those worlds, therefore, since you're a part of the whole, since you're a part of the whole universe, since you need that, what he says, philosophically, what applies to the part is applying to the whole. And therefore, Hashem, so to speak, needs that for the entire universe to work that way, 
to express all the powers in this way. Okay. Because the soul, which is a part of Atzilut, ultimately, that, got, that, that we say, a, a, a soul is a portion of God above. Because each soul is like a portion of so many powers Hashem himself wanted to express in the world. You have your portion. He has his portion. And since all these portions, all these souls, they need three worlds to express themselves within. So in general, all across the universe, that is what's necessary. This is the secret of why a person is called a small world. Because man, I love this line, man is the signature. Man is the ultimate culmination. He's the expressed conglomeration, total culmination of all the worlds. And he's the ultimate finalization of the structure. You know, in Shabbos, there's a, uh, you can't do maka papatish, right? Like in Shabbos, um, it's called a final hammer blow. So like, let's say a guy is weaving a shirt, God forbid, on Shabbos. So he's doing the forbidden act of weaving a, a shirt. But that last stitch he does to like finally make the shirt all the way come together and there's no more thing you have to do, he gets a, a separate extra sin for that. Or God forbid, a, a guy is building a bench. He's not supposed to do that, right? So he's building, he's building the bench. It's all one sin. But when he does that final hammer blow and puts the last leg on the bench and it's done, that's a, that's a second sin. So man is like the maka the patish of the whole universe. Man, like, there's all these angels, there's all these worlds, there's all these forces, and really what they are is creating for each person in the roots of their soul all sorts of things they could do. And then when you actually do it with your ratzon, with your will, you say, I want to learn right now, what you're really doing is you're pulling all these things together and you're actually doing it. It's the makapapatish, it's the final hammer blow. It's the culmination of that Mitzvah. You make it happen. You're the Maka Papatish. Umashi Yim Okay. What's the what's a hint to this in the Pasukim? That who's the last one to be created? Man. Man was the very last thing to be created. What does that really mean? Nase Adam. Let us make man. The verse is saying, let us make man. Who's who's this us? Who's this we that's saying, let us make man? The whole creation. One of the answers is the whole creation. The whole creation is, is pouring into man, but at the same time, man is making the whole creation. Because he's that makapapati. He's that final hammer blow. All these powers, all these angels, right? Every mitzvah says you're, you're, you're creating an angel, and an angel is helping you do the mitzvah. The angel was always there in possibility, but you're actually activating it and making it real. So since you were created last, you're the culmination, and it doesn't, right, the Midrash is saying, on the one hand, if you do a, a mitzvah, you can say, you know, the whole creation was for me. I was created last, which means everything was created for me to use, and I culminate everything. I perfect everything. But on the other hand, God forbid a person is doing a sin, then it turns out, it says, you know, even an insect was created before you. Okay. Okay. Right? So since he's the last one that was created, he's the one who's receiving the imprint, the spiritual 
imprint. There's all these spiritual worlds and all of them are pouring into him and his body and they're imprinting on him. So when you're learning, when you're giving charity, there's so many angels going all the way up. And when you, you think it's a small thing, but when you give that charity, millions and millions and trillions of worlds are pouring into your hand and it's actually, your hand giving that charity is the final imprint of so many structures, so many shapes, so many spiritual shapes of light, so to speak, going through your hand and now finally imprinting in the world. Ah, what a beautiful line. It's great. What is he saying? He's saying that all the worlds, all these lights and atzilut, all these angels, all these, all these spiritual things, they're coming from a place of oneness, that in that place of oneness, you wouldn't see them, it's just so one. But the verse is saying, Noat's sofan betichilatan. Their end is wedged in their beginning. Because what's their end of all these worlds, of all these angels, all these powers, all these multiverses pour, is pouring into you? Is you, you're the end. When you do the mitzvah, now they all come back into a oneness. And in you, when you see a person doing a mitzvah, or when you see yourself doing a mitzvah, now all of a sudden, you can see all those powers rolled back up, back into their oneness, but now you can understand the oneness. When all those worlds of all those mitzvot you could do were in the beginning source, who can look there? It's brighter than a billion trillion suns, and that's only the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. So, they're, so they're coming out of that source, and they're splitting up into all these worlds. That, that's what we've been explaining. Why Hashem has to split up His powers into so many worlds. But then they get wrapped back up in you. And now, when you see a person doing a mitzvah, you're actually seeing. That's why the Tanya is saying over and over, when a Jew is doing a mitzvah and learning, he's uniting with Ein Sof in a unity that is unbelievable. So why don't we feel blown away? That's, that's just why we don't feel blown away. So that we can, we don't feel blown away when we do a mitzvah. We're supposed to contemplate it. And we could, if we work on it, contemplate. And when you're doing this mitzvah, I'm tying together all these worlds. And I'm bringing them back into their oneness again in a way that I can handle it. Okay. And so he says, hey, we've kind of got off track here in our, in our discussion. You know, because he's kind of going in this beautiful point I love so much about how man ties it all together. Let's get back to our point. Okay. I'm going to stop this recording and we'll do another recording, Blue Netter. All right. Bezer Deshem continuing that piece on the four worlds and the Ruach Haim and the Shephatal. This is from the Shephatal. I don't know if I said that. Okay, another way of talking about the four worlds is in the secret of Moicha, Verucha, Vagufa, Uklipa. Brain, spirit, body, and shell. 
that's going to line up with the idea of Atsilut Bri Yitzira Asiya, like this. A person in this world has a brain, then he has a spirit of life, then he has a body, and then he has the concept of a shell. What does that mean? And that, so to speak, works in the universe as a whole, like this. What's the secret of the brain? Okay, not so surprising. The concept of brain is the intellectual thought, which is residing in the brain. Okay, that's the level of brain. Ruach. The next thing is the idea of the spirit. This is the spirit of life that is residing in the heart. That the verse says in... Um, Proverbs, of all things, guard your heart, because life is coming out from the heart. Okay? So he's saying that the ruach, the spirit is in the heart, but clearly then, if he's quoting this verse, so the some function of the spirit is to pump life into the body. Now, going back up to the brain level, seichel, intelligence, which is in the brain, has no particular action whatsoever. Rak makshava, it's just thinking. Shesicha mishote v'machshavto, shechayshev v'chachmato, v'askalto malasos. It's thinking and jumping from thought to thought and thinking about what to do. But you can't even say that the level of will, in a sense, even though we know will is kasser, is higher than thinking, but here we're talking about a will to do a particular thing actually. In the level of thought, it's still all purely theoretical. It's just thinking. Should I do this? Should I do that? But there's not actually a, an inspiration, an arousal to then go and perform one of these things you were thinking about. Because at the pure level of thought, you haven't yet decided exactly what you're going to do yet. You're thinking about it. Therefore, in the level of pure thought, that experience is still distant from actual action. And for sure, it's going to be far away yet from the experience of expressing one will in different flavors. Like you have a relationship with someone. So ultimately, you're deciding to have a relationship with that person. That's already beyond thought. Because if it's just a thought, it's like, should I start having a relationship with this person? Maybe yes, maybe no. You're thinking. Now you've decided to have a relationship. But even that choice and that decision, yeah, I'm going to relate, and you start relating, that choice to relate, and then you start relating, that's like one great inspiration. But that one great inspiration, yes, I'm going to start relating, it's going to start coming out and expressing in all sorts of different ways. You know, today I'm going to relate to them, I'm going to give them a lot of my time, and I'm going to give them maybe some money, and tomorrow I'm not. But it's all part of one relationship. It's all part of one decision to have one type of relationship. And even though I'm looking different to this person at different times, 
it's still actually coming from one decision. I'm going to relate to this person in this way. It's just different days. It looks differently. Hmm. Actual expressions of differences and changes and different colors and different shades and different levels of brightness and different levels of closeness. That's only happening when you're acting on the thought and really doing things. Because sometimes, according to one thought and one decision and one inspiration, yes, I'm going to relate or do or be involved in this project. From there, there's no changes. It's one thought and it's one decision. But that one thought and that one decision are executed in different steps in different times. So in action, the one decision and the one thought is coming out looking very differently at different times. But it's coming from one thought and from one decision. And here's the question. Since there are no actions in the pure level of thought, it's just thinking. And the thought, to do, so you're thinking, I'm going to... You're sitting there at Rosh Hashanah at the beginning of the year, the first day of the year, and you're having all these thoughts, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be like this all year. And really, you all in a, in a sense, all the thoughts and all the decisions for the entire year are kind of encapsulated on the one day of Rosh Hashanah. So everything you're doing for the rest of the year is kind of all based on like one great big thought and decision that you made on Rosh Hashanah. So the question is, it's one thought. It's one unchanging thought that's encapsulating so many actions that it's going to carry out, to carry out that thought. So if that thought, though, is unchanging and it's, it's sealed in for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc., and it's not changing, then where, from where is coming how that one thought that's not changing is expressing in so many changing actions? How do we how do, where do you, how do we make that transition? That's the question. This is and this is how it works, he says. You have the thought, okay? You have the thought. Again, this is kind of abstract, but like this one super thought in Rosh Hashanah. This is what I'm going to be like this year. And once you've thought, you've thought, you've thought, and you've, you've locked it in, then, and you've decided, yes, here's the thought I'm selecting, or the, this one super thought with all its collection of sub-thoughts, and I've selected it, and I've decided, I, yes, I'm going to act on it, then there's a transfer from the thought in the brain to the spirit of life in the heart, to the Ruach Chaim Shebelev, the spirit of life in the heart. We can say that that's happening on a very intense level in Rosh Hashanah, where you're thinking, you're thinking, what I'm going to be like, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to learn, I'm going to do mitzvot as much as I can, all these things, and then you blow the shofar, and that's like deciding, that's the spirit, right? That's the breath, that's the blast of the shofar, bringing it into your heart. And now it's not just a thought. It's like, this is what I'm doing. Yes. Okay, that's, that's happening on a super day on Rosh Hashanah. But then you do it every day. 
every day within that year. You're, you're in, a, in a subconscious way at least, drawing on that one thought from Rosh Hashanah and selecting, here is Tuesday in the summer, that little portion of that thought, you're, you're re-engaging with that thought and yet you're deciding, yes, I'm going to act on that thought. I'm going to be good today in today's task. So again, you're selecting that thought that maybe you kind of were already selecting on Rosh Hashanah, but you're selecting that part of it for today and you're deciding, yes, I'm going to do it. And so again, there's this transfer where you're deciding you're going to do it and that, that theoretical thought is again transferring into the spirit of life in the heart for your day to day. You're activating it when you're davening in the morning, when you're praying in the morning. That's bringing it into your heart, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That's what the philosophers call the, the power of arousal. Now listen to this very, very Carefully now. This is a really important point for you to get. If you get this point, you're going to understand the flow. You have the thought, you've selected the thought, and you've decided, yes, I'm going to act on this thought. Then there's the arousal, there's the decision, there's the will. Yes, I will act on this thought. And Kabbalistically, fascinatingly, it's really where Keter, the thought has been selected, then Keter is, is really the Das. Keter is saying, yes, this thought. And that's where Das is lining up with Keter, actually, because obviously Ratzon is higher than thought, but yet it's pushing into the thought and then pushing it into the Mido, into the, into the, yeah. okay? So he's saying desire is, Ratzon is coming after thought. I thought Ratzon was Keter above thought, but no, in order to give birth to the thought and make it actually act, requires something higher than the thought itself. Just like you need ains of power to make any of the spiritual things do anything. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what the Alter Rebbe is saying in, in the end of Tanya. I guess in the Yigarat HaKodesh. That in order to actually give birth to anything from thought into the lower madrigas, into the lower levels, you need the ains of power, Davka. But anyway... Here's the point. You have this thought and you've decided you're going to do the thought. The decision that, yes, I'm going to do it and now I'm going to, like, I'm inspired. I'm actually moving energetically towards carrying out that thought. That initial burst of energy, he says, has no particular form yet in particular. It's just the power that I'm going to bring everything in this thought my thought for the whole year, very powerful thought, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year is in my, is in my Rosh, is in my head. It's, it's really determining everything as long as I say true to that thought. And, I'm, and with the shofar blast, I'm deciding I'm going to do it. And every day I reawaken that shofar blast and yes, I'm deciding I'm going to do it. But when you first decide you're going to do it and you're going to do everything in that thought or everything in the part of that thought that's the part for this day, in that initial blast of decision, the energy that yet you're starting to really do it, it still hasn't broken up into all its parts yet. 
It's just an initial blast of, I'm going to do it. Very, very much like the shofar blow. The shofar blast has no notes. It's just a blank sound. It's actually a great image, right? Mm -hmm. At first, it's just a blank, powerful blast sound. But it hasn't broken up into any concept of musical notes. The desire, the decision, I'm going to do it, hasn't broken up into any, and I'm going to give charity at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to wrap to fill in on this guy at 10 o'clock, right? Mm -hmm. It's still just a, a one blast. Okay? Baguf. That's why this power is called Ruach. So he's giving you a very, very solid, um, effective, and specific definition of Ruach. Ruach. You want to know what Ruach is? Here it is. Ki perusho shel ruach hu ratzon. Okay, so one of the um, perushim, one of the explanations of what the word ruach means is will. Ki inyan shnemar el asher yeshama ruach lechet shama yelechu. That the verse is saying in Ezekiel chapter one that you have the chayot kodesh, these forces in the world of Yitzira, and then you have these ofanim in the world of Asiya. And wherever the chayot wanted to move the ofanim in the lower world, that's where they moved. So whatever, whatever direction the chayot wanted to move the ofanim, that's where they moved. So ruach is the word for it. Wherever the ruach was going is where they went. So ruach means this is where I want you to go. Ruach, ruach literally means it's like very, it's a direction, right? It's like I want you to go in this direction. So you're going to do it. So the direction the fact that you're going in all the directions that I want means that you're doing what I want. So there, therefore, there's an there's a, um, intrinsic um, identity between the idea of desire and directionality and spirit and ruach. Very simple. You want to raise up your right arm into the sky. When you actually decide you do it, your right arm goes in the up direction. You want you want to put it down. It goes in the down direction, and it's its expression of going in these different directions means it's doing what the thought wants it to do. So that's why ruach is meaning both direction and desire. Now, now we've defined thought. We've def- which is. Yeah, and we've defined ruach or spirit, which is direction or the direction of desire. Now he's going to give you a fantastic definition of chayim. What is life? What is life? What is life? Ki heim galim Life is the particular expression of the different actions. So again, we have pure thought. Pure thought doesn't change. A thought is a thought is a thought. And from one thought might come very, very many different types of actions along the way as you're carrying out the thought. One thought is being carried out all year from Rosh Hashanah, actually. 
But that's the thought. The thought in of itself is this unchanging thing which is sealed on Rosh Hashanah. That's your judgment. Like, well, what were you thinking of? And it's not changing, in a sense. So then how do you get all these different actions coming from one unchanging thought? So then the next stage down was the ruach, the choice, the, the shofar blast, the I'm going to do it. But we said at that level, there's still not any splitting up of the application of the thought. It's just this initial burst of the thought that, yes, you're going to do it, and it's entering your heart and heating your, your whole body up to act on this thought. But it's still the indiscriminate sound of the shofar blast. Chaim is the next level down, fascinatingly, and Chaim is where the Ruach, which is carrying the thought, the spirit of inspiration, which is carrying the thought, now starts to split up into all the different particular expressions. That's the definition of life, which maybe is why Chaim is plural. It's a plural word. Chaim means lives. It's great, right? Ruach is a singular word. That one blast of inspiration. The one blast of inspiration for the year or for the day at prayer. The Chaim is all those plural things that finally get expressed from that Ruach. So a guy's going to give charity. So he had a thought on Rosh Hashanah, which is then getting selected that today he's going to give charity. Thought. Then there's the inspiration to give the charity. But nothing's really even happened yet. It's just that the heart is getting ready and there's a blast of, of movement. I'm going to do it. But that's still just ruach. That's still just like a shofar blast. Chaim is all the movements of your hand. You know, reaching for the money, taking the money, giving it, all the little movements. That's the Chaim. That's the life. Right? Wicked people and their lives are called dead because they're not expressing real life. But if you're constantly doing mitzvot, that's your life. Right? The Torah says, The Torah is your life. When you're performing Torah, all your movements are real life. Ki hem hamid galim why? What's the proof that life is being identified with particular actions? He says, because, action, because living things do actions. Living things do actions. Ki hamet hu nandar mepula. A dead person is no longer able to do actions. So you have a body. What's the difference between a living body and a dead body is actions. Okay, so life is actions. Mm. Therefore, logical, philosophical, spiritual proof, actions are called life. Since a dead body is not doing actions and a live body is, so that's the difference between life and death is actions. Right? 
But this is why it's called a Ruach Chaim, a spirit of life. Because life, which are the particular actions, they're not going to get started and they're not going to act unless you want them to. And we said the pure raw desire to express a thought in actions is the Ruach. Once you have the Ruach, once you've actually decided to express this thought in action, then you have a Ruach for your Chayim. Then you have a spirit that's actually going to activate different expressions of life. Rotsam Lamar. Ki ha Ruach Shuaraton. Because pure raw desire, as we said, has no action yet also. It's just the raw shofar blast. It's the raw sound. It's the raw inspiration. It only reveals itself once it is applying itself in particular actions. So, so far we've shown the cascade between thoughts into desire, and then into actions which are called life. Now he's saying, now I'm really going to turn up the heat and kick this thing up a notch. He's like, if you're really focusing, you can understand something even deeper. Okay. Okay, understand from our words. Ela, hashrat nefesh v'chiyuta sheinim meita b'mos haguf. Ah, 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 ah. Now you'll understand from everything we said that the soul never dies when the body dies. And that's the deepest statement, actually. Because what he's really saying like this. What he's really saying is everything you ever expressed was life. Every time you gave charity, every time you learned, every time you prayed and you expressed that life, that does not die. That is alive forever. And that's another reason why we are going down to this body. Because when you're in this body, you can actually extend out all this life from your thought to your inspiration to your actual expressions into all the particular directions and tiny, tiny little branchings out of everything you said that was positive, everything you did that was positive. All those expressions of yourself, every single way that you unfolded yourself and extended yourself and expressed yourself, those, those expressions are alive forever the Zohar is saying, no good deed is ever lost. Every breath, every just breath where you were breathing while you were doing a mitzvah, that breath is saved forever because it's alive. Because actions are life. Yeah. <laughs> Now he's just saying, let's remember who's at the top of the different parts of the chain. 
the thought is on top of the ruach, is on top of the actions which are chayim. So if all these actions and expressions you ever did are alive forever, obviously all your ruach, all your inspirations is certainly alive. It's the life of your life. And certainly, certainly, even more obviously, all the thoughts you ever had are, are forever. All the holy ones, at least, are existing forever because those are the top of the life force chain. So it's fantastic. Where are they? Well, they're in Gan Eden. They're in the Garden of Eden. That's what you're enjoying in the Garden of Eden. You understand that? All the thoughts that you ever built out and all the inspirations of Ruach that you ever expressed and all the particular tiny little streams and rivers and creeks and tributaries and tiny little branches of life that you ever expressed in your life, that's who you are in the Garden of Eden. That's who you are in eternal life. And through those structures that you express, the Zohar is saying, through those structures that you express, you look back into them to understand the Creator. Because you understand, He was the one who gave you your life. He was the one who gave you all this energy that you used to express all those good things. And now you understand who He is. When you understand who you were, then you're going to know, then you're gonna, it says you're going to meet Hashem in the Garden of Eden when you go up after 120. You are peering back into the Creator through the thing that you built, through all the life that you express, which is being stored forever. You're creating your own device to look back on the Creator and understand the Creator, who's otherwise completely unknowable. So that's why it's so extremely urgent to do as many mitzvot as you possibly can and to always be doing mitzvot when you're working and you've got to be fair in business, etc., etc., and everything you do, you got to be focused. We have precious time in this world. Okay, Shahari Ratzon, who Eved Lamach Shava, Sichlis Kamosha, Kokos, Avadim Loratzon, Vim Ha Eved Chai, Koshkin Shadon, who Chai, Shahari Eved Mikabel Pula, Meadon, Boyfin Shamach Shava, Sichlis, Mashpia, Hius Loracha Ratzon, Loracha Ratzon, Mashpia, Hius Lakota, Kokos, Achaim, Mid Pashimito, Kalaguf. Okay. Why? This is great. Why is the body alive? The body alive is alive because of the, the power of thoughts in the mind, which is the highest level of energy, is sending inspiration just on a stam level to live, right? So the reason that you're just, your heart's beating and you're alive and your body doesn't, God forbid, die is because on a basic level, I mean, a scientist will tell you, the brain is sending electrical signals to the heart to pump and to send life all over the body. But you want to really give life to your body, real life, you constantly pump mitzvot life into your body. When you're giving and giving and giving tzedakah, you're pumping more and more and more life into your hand. When you're learning and learning and learning, and that's an action, right? Because you're speaking it. It says you have to speak it out. Mm-hmm. And that's because when you really speak it out, it's a pu'ula, it's an action that's taking a thought, inspiring it with a ruach, and then pushing life out of your mouth. And then the Torah is literally put, pumping life and more and more life into your brain. 
And while the physical brain might decompose and the physical hand might decompose, but every second that you were pumping life into your body, so all those expressions, while the body might decompose until the resurrection of the dead, but all those expressions that you were doing to, to transform your body all the time, that life is, as we said, that's who you are, and that, and that is what you're using to appear into Hashem in the end. Alright, now he's telling you something a little bit technical. But this is really cool if you can get it. So the body, what is the body if not for the life force pumping into it? It's just dirt. We know this. When the person passes on and all those life force things that he expressed in his whole life are going back up into the heavens, so his body goes into the earth and is just decomposing into dirt. Mm -hmm. Okay? So since really when you're looking at a living person in their body, you're really seeing a bunch of dirt, a bunch of dust that's being pushed together to be alive second by second by the life force coming from their neshama, ultimately, holding them together and keeping them alive. Not just moving, but just being here and not decomposing. So therefore, the dirt isn't really the body. You understand that? What the body is going to decompose into isn't the body itself. It's just dirt. So the body, to, to properly call it a body, a body is actually dirt plus life. Dirt plus life is creating a body. Without the life, there's just dirt. And therefore, in a sense, the tail end of the forces of life are given the name goof, are given the name body, because they're really the ones who's turning the dirt into a body. That's what he said. all right, we're, we're just going to finish it up here because the dirt thing, which the, the concept of the dirt is including all sorts of potential to, to be formed into bones and to be formed into skin and to be formed into organs and sinews and these things. But that's stam on its own called klipa. That's klipa. That's shell. Pure externality. Because why? The dirt by itself. Yeah. Or, or the concept of the body without life. And you might have a person who's alive and his heart is pumping and his brain is thinking and all this and he's living and talking, but he's doing pure evil. Or at least he's not focusing on the creator. He's essentially, he's essentially still like on the level of klipa. And the eyes don't really see it, but the spirituality, it's a fact. 
that his spirit of real life, of expressing the creator's goodness in the world through him and to etch the goodness into his body, it's, it's really not, it's not activating. He has a holy soul, but the holy soul is trapped in the reservoir. The holy soul is trapped in its source and is essentially a walking klipa. That's why it says the wicked people in their life are called dead. Fine. All right, we'll stop it over here. Okay, this should be the last recording, Blinader. Okay, so skipping a little bit, he says we can take all these concepts and apply them to the universe on a grand scale. That the world of Atsilut is compared to the thoughts in the brain, so to speak. Atsilus in general is compared to one great, holy, pure thought. The Naki, Mikol Maisei, and it is totally pure from any particular action, right? As we said, you have one thought in Rosh Hashanah. Hashem had one pure holy thought, so to speak, for everything, everything that would happen in the 6,000 years. That was Bereshit bara Elohim eta shemayim eta aretz. Inside of Reshit, inside of one wisdom thought, is the entire thought for all heavens and earth. It's one thought. And it's totally pure and holy and totally removed from any particular actions or differences in actions. It's going to drive all the actions, but it itself is totally, totally unchanged and unaffected by any difference. It is rock solid and unchanging until forever for our world. Okay. Okay. But how, does, how is it, though, that from this one unchanging thought of Atsilut, so many different things are being expressed in the world, ultimately, of Asiya? What happens? That, so to speak, it's Mishotetet Laskil Abdavar Tov, the Haskalas Havayos Tovos. That from that one thought, that one thought, so to speak, is constantly referencing itself to constantly think of new particular applications of that thought to be drawn out in good ways at the right times. So Hashem had one grand, huge thought for everything, including right now. And the way that this thought is expressing itself as that which is driving ultimately different changes and constant dizzying change in our world is that within that one thought, that one thought is calculating within itself of which aspect of this unchanging thought am I going to express now and how. But the deepest thing in the world is to understand that those calculations, so to speak, 
are not in any way outside the parameters of the one great thought. That one great thought already is circumscribing and surrounding and not only taking into account, but is actually the basis of existence for anything that could ever happen. So there's literally nothing that we can do that's going to, you know, stump Hashem. Because anything we could do is only within what Hashem thought of that we could do. You understand that? Nothing that's happening could even exist if it wasn't already programmed in that one great thought. Okay. It's just that all the time Hashem, so to speak, is deciding. I will express this little aspect of Atzilut, which is like a certain tiny branch off of the great tree of all the thoughts of Hashem for all things that would ever play out in 6,000 years. Minute by minute, so to speak, he's having an inspiration and a thought that I'm going to express this thing now, and I'm going to express this thing now. And those raw inspirations that now, this aspect of a tzilu, this aspect of a divine possibility, of a divine thought, driving reality, now I'm deciding, so to speak, he's, so to speak, Hashem is deciding to now express this and now express that, that comes out as a raw spirit, a raw ruach in the world of Bria. Nope. No. That's Yitzira. Yitzira is where it gets split up. That's why it's called Yitzira. Yitzira is coming from, from Sior, from forms. The raw ruach is Bria. The raw spirit is Bria. In fact, Rashi says, that the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the waters. He says, This is the throne of glory. And we know the Kisei HaKavod is in Bria. Mm-hmm. So Ruach, Chaim, the Ruach is Bria. The Kisei HaKavod, the throne. I don't know, I've never really heard... I mean, I'm just trying to make a connection. But that makes sense to me. Ulifol, ki misham hatchalsa hamaisim shuhu olam apirut ki nifrana helam hamachshavam ikali baratzon. Because Bria is so close to Atsilut, so it can't quite yet express particular actions yet, because it's still so close to Atsilut. Or again, remember, Atsilut is this unchanging thought. And we said that then that inspiration, that ruach, that shofar blast, is also an aspect of like unchanging nature because it's so close. Because it's just that blast of sound. It's the beginning of applying the thought through different types of actions at different times. But since it's so close to the thought, which doesn't change, it too is partaking of that energy of not changing. Even though it is a chiddush, it is a bria, it is a creation because it's the arousal to express actions of change in the world 
yet it's coming from the energy of thought, which doesn't change, therefore it's not splitting up actually into different actions yet. Now, this is very, very good because he's explaining now some Midrashim that the Leshem explains apparent stira in the Midrashim. One Midrash is saying that the angels were created on day one. Another Midrash is saying they were created on day two. And yet another Midrash is saying they were created on day five. And yet another Midrash is saying they're being created all the time, constantly, constantly by our mitzvot, and so many other happenings. So which one is correct? I'm not going to explain every long thing because it's, it's off track, but basically the point is, is that mystically speaking, during the six days of creation when Hashem was setting everything up, he created all these angels in potential. All these angels in potential were like so many possible vessels for possible expressions of life. That we said life was <coughs> the particular expressions. That there was an inspiration to give tzedakah, for example, an inspiration for kindness to happen in the world. But how does that kindness then split off into all of its particular expressions? This guy, Hashem wants kindness to happen in the world. So he inspires people to do kindness. And so his kindness is ultimately coming out that this guy's giving charity over here in Africa. And this guy's giving charity over here in China. And it's splitting off into life. How? Through all these angels that were created in potential. All these angels that were created in potential, whatever this means, out there in, in the space of creation, were so many possible vessels to pull out so many expressions of life when the time came. So the angel of our Torah study, which we is draw, literally drawing down life and power from the creator to, to create this moment of Torah study, those angels were always there in potential from the creation of the world. And right now we're like sending them up. That's what it says. It says, I'm just telling you what it says in the mainstream midrashim. It says, when you pray shacharit in the morning, you're sending up all these angels and they're taking all your prayers up to Hashem's throne and then a response comes back down. What the heck is that talking about? It's saying that that, that moment of the morning prayer was always possible and all these angels are like somehow like there in the future and then when we come to that moment of davening and we're doing it, now we're activating those angels, sending them up, so that the so that the prayer experience can come back down and be a mitzvah and be a reality in the world. The angel, the the, the charity that God willing you're going to give as a thirty year old, there's an angel for that out there in the future. And when you come to that moment and you give charity, you're sending it up, and now you're creating a vessel for yourself giving charity. Okay. So all these angels are all these possible vessels that when they're activated, they're the things that are the messengers, Malachim or Shluchim, they're messengers, that when the time is coming, they're going to be the messengers to carry out 
the thoughts in Atsilut coming through the inspiration of, of arousal to act in Bria, that now these angels are going to get, they're going to get activated, that they were always possible from the beginning of time, but then they're going to get activated to pull out particular actions and expressions of this divine flow and to finally convert it into uh, different actions all over the world of time and space. Whereas the pure thought of Atsilu and the pure inspiration of Bria are still coming from timeless type of energy. The angels are the messengers that allow the energy to be pulled out and expressed as different actions everywhere. That's the angels in Yitzirah. This is very good, explaining a lot. Fine. And then they can fully reveal to us everything in Atsilut. Because we don't get Atsilut. We don't get all that stuff up there. When you, you could, you, Moshe couldn't look straight into Atsilut. As it says, even Moshe couldn't look straight into Atsilut. Because nobody can under, no A person can't see my face and live. Right? Hashem says, and Moshe says, and Hashem says, you can't see my face. You can't look into Atsilut. What would you see? You'd see everything at once. You'd be blown away. You wouldn't understand what you were seeing. So I'll show you my back. It means I can show you myself through the externalities of all my actions. Then you can see, you can trace back to what was in Atsilut. So Yitzira is called Chaim. Okay? Atzilut is called thought. Bria is called the inspiration and desire for action. And Yitzira is called actual actions, which we said was called life. We said the particular actions was what life was. Otherwise the thing was dead. So the actions of life itself. Okay, so as we said, I'm not explaining every single word, but just as we said that the, the, the pure, like the, the aspect of the body on its own without the life force pumping into it and propping it up and holding it together, we said it was just going to decompose into dirt. So that life itself was really, the actions and activity of life itself is what is propping up this whole universe. So that's why it's just, if you want to meditate for a minute, this whole this whole world would would like, just like our bodies in after 120 years are going to decompose and one day they'll be resurrected. But until the resurrection of the dead, our bodies will decompose after 120 years. So this whole world, similarly from the pure aspect of klipa and the pure aspect of physicality itself, if not for so much spirituality of life and action pumping into it every second, this world would also decompose. So it's a fantastic meditation. When you just look at the fact that things are not decomposing and disintegrating, you're, you're looking, you're getting a window and peering into spirituality, just everywhere, holding things together, propping them up, 
preventing everything from just, God forbid, disintegrating. That there are so many midrashim that says, if, the, if Israel's not studying the Torah and there aren't tzaddikim with the Muna, that Hashem's, God forbid, would turn the whole world back to, to Tovavo. He'd turn the whole world back to, to the shattered nothingness of Tohu. I really love this piece. Great. So you want to see angels? You want to see an angel? Look at everything. There are angels everywhere. Angels are the force of life that keeps everything from not disintegrating. Great. Now you can say you've seen angels, so to speak. You've seen the evidence of angels in everything because it's not decomposing. Yeah, people think angels are these cute things with wings, and it's not. Angels are these spiritual forces of action that are actively keeping everything propped together and culled together and, and, and sewn together. Yeah, really cool. Really interesting. Really, really interesting. This mom is really, really, really fascinating. Apolim be'et maklipa. He... Now, one more little point, and then it's just been so much today. Now we're going to explain evil. So let's talk just one more second about klipa. What is this pure stuff that's like dead and disintegrating, if not for all that spiritual life within it? Where does it come from? If everything's from Hashem, so what is this? Obviously, there are sparks of good potential in everything, so it's it's like, how do you say it? These pure externalities, these pure shells, this pure dirt stuff, everything will one day be totally holy. Everything one day. There will be no more klipa. But for a time, it's the craziest thought in the world, but it's like, this is how they describe it. It's, it's like an energy from the thought of the creator that somehow got broken up from that thought and it fell down and down and down. And so like the energy of that thought is falling farther and farther into distance from where it came from. And it's getting darker and harder and crustier and like more dirt-like until it falls down and becomes a klipa. It becomes a shell. It becomes a, an extra, a pure externality. But of course, it's coming from those holy thoughts in Atsilu. And Atsilu will one day reunite with that thing, play back into that, that klipa, that shell, and liven it up again. But until then, that's what the klipa is. It's like the receiver to that thought before the thought plays back into it to put life back into it. Okay. Okay. Chelgachad mehem dinim lachim kadoshim Now, the world of Asiya, listen very carefully. Listen very, very carefully. You're going to learn a lot right now. This was like an eye-opener for me. 
there's an inner, holy core aspect to this world of Asiya, this, this shell, klipa level, which is infused with holiness. And the, these are powers in the world of Asiya. Spiritual, like there's so much spirituality in the world of Asiya. It's when they're like plugged into those angels of life, or rather when those angels of life are plugged into them, and they become the, the continuing messengers of all that spiritual information, linking all the way back up to what Hashem wants to do, so to speak, at any given time. So when a Jew in his body, or when a holy, righteous B'nai Noach, in their physical body, are doing their seven mitzvot, we're doing our 613 mitzvot, our bodies are linking up to all the life that Hashem wants to express in the world. And so they're, the klipa is being plugged into the life and it's being transformed itself. And it's, it just becomes one, part of one continuous flow of electricity and spiritual life and energy. And you're plugged Asiya back into all the other worlds. Okay? Mabriya Yitzira. Vasha Shava Right. And so any moment, a moment of peace, a moment of connection, obviously Shabbat, a moment of learning, all the worlds are playing ultimately into the world of Asiya, lighting up the world of Asiya, lighting up that shell, that externality, and enlivening it, softening it, and bringing it into the whole system of Kedusha forever. Because there are so many sparks, so many potential expressions of Chaim, expressions of life in that klipa. And when all the, the angels from Yitzira ultimately are playing in those sparks and making the dirt alive and making the shell express and speak what's inside, so what was stuck in that externality was actually a, a fallen spark of potential life that got pulled, that's what they call it, that you're pulling sparks out of the klipa. All it means is that in physicality is potential energy, that that potential energy can get plugged into mitzvot, into, into spiritual life, expressions of life coming all the way from Hashem. And when those, ex, when those forces of life, those packets of life are pulled out and re-plugged in to the whole flow of life, so they get rescued from the klipa. They get pulled into that structure of eternal life, as we said. Every good deed you do is forever. Every expression of life is forever. So when you use the energy in the physical world to do a mitzvah, you've pulled that, that packet of life that was stuck in the dirt, you pulled it out of the dirt, right? The verses are saying, um, he's, uh, he's na'ari me'afar kumi. Get up out of the dust, that is mystically speaking that there's sparks of the Shekhinah, there are sparks of the Divine Presence stuck in the dust. Get a rise, shake off the dust. Right? That's, that's the crazy thing. That's the wild thing we're doing. And then it's, not, it's being pulled out of the klipa and getting plugged into and integrated with the whole system of life. Forever. But what are the powers of Tuma? What are the powers of impurity? These are the potentialities within the world of Asiya. 
the world of ASEA, when you consider it by itself, before it's plugged back into the flow of life, of spiritual life, that we say, right? What, how does klipas noga work? How does the, right, there's that klipas noga, that klipa, that's glowing klipa. It could, be, it could be fully lit up. Right now it's glowing. It's glowing. It's not fully light. It could be plugged back into the light. It could serve as the fuel for the light. It could be like the wax candle that if you light it up, it itself is making the whole light thing happen. But if it's not pulled into the light, God forbid, then what happens is all that energy has to go somewhere. So instead of the energy being pulled into the system of Kedusha and fueling the whole system of Kedusha such that the mitzvot in the physical world are pulling down all that fire, all that light, but if God forbid they're not, instead they turn around and they express as powers of executioners and negative responses to say, hey, you didn't use our energy to integrate us into the system of holiness. We're turning back around and there's going to be war. There's going to be disaster. There's going to be famine. There's going to be breakdown as a response for us not being pulled into the system. An analogy I'm always thinking about that's like a very understandable one is if you, you have your body, right? If you don't just on a simple level eat or drink your body's going to start screaming at you. Give me water. Give me food. Plug us into a higher source of life force so that we can live and calm down. That's what happens to these forces of potential energy when mitzvot are not done. When they should have been nourished and fed with spirituality, but they're not, they turn around and they start storming because they're starving. That's where evil is coming from. Now, okay, next point. Don't God forbid, forbid think for a second, though, that these forces of Tuma and these executioners are acting independently. The Creator is still sending out His angels to dress up in those forces to do the, 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 the consequence, to do the harsh result to wake people up to start doing mitzvot. Mm-hmm. But the, just the point is that instead of those energies being pulled into the system to express peace in the world, instead, Hashem's saying, you guys, you're starving the world of the spirituality it needs. I'm going to have to send my, my, my forces into these energies to express harshness to wake you up. That's why they're called klipa. That's why they're called a shell. Because they're really, they're really not important in and of themselves. And Hashem would rather not have to activate them. Hashem would rather that they be transformed into holy light and integrated into holy light rather than have to come out expressing as punishments which are really not Hashem's primary interest in this world. It's a, it's a secondary Bidi Eved, um, unfortunate consequence or alternative scenario when it didn't have to be like that. Now, last line. 
And once all wickedness is no longer, all the sins are, are impossible because there's just no more possibility of sin. So the klipa will disappear. Like a body, bocha kochos betocho, yeish lo chayim, v'yeish lo koch, v'yisteli kaneshama, ima kokotea, ain lo chayim, v'koach, v'hu evin doime, a'efer v'afar, k'mokein, elo klipos bocha chikayam b'olam, yeish lem koch, v'okshikale achet, yeitimina olam, gamheim yakolo v'sofotamu. So just what he says here is um, really interesting because he says um, he gives an analogy to these klipot and he says just like as long as there's a body around so the, the body is existing We know that people got dressed up into the physical body because of the sin of Adam Arishon. Right? If it wasn't for the sin of Adam Arishon in the Garden of Eden, of the first man in the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't be dressed up into physical bodies. We'd be having garments of light. So what he just said, basically, he's not saying it exactly, but the implication and the connection he's making is we gotta under, we gotta see the body itself, in a sense, in its degraded state that it's in right now. We know that the snake. It says the snake like lived with Chava, and injected his poison into her, and this is why everybody is born into the body that they're born into. So in a sense, the body is that Klipa is attracting to people. And people have an evil inclination, which is that there's something that's not allowing the spirituality of each one's soul to just blast all the way into the world. That's what the body is. From its pure hard aspect of, its, of, of the, the pure limitation of the body, not the holiness of the body that it can be a vehicle to express mitzvot and pull the sparks out of the, the lower world, that the body can do that. But, but stum just from the pure aspect of the body before the soul is working on the body, the body is acting as this ultimate source of sins, of throwing up an obstacle to just only doing mitzvot. So in, in a sense, you know, I, I honestly can't explain this anymore. Maybe next time. That's what